Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 42. I'll be getting to those in a minute. But in chapters 5 and 6, I kind of want to give you a little background because this requires some setup. Luke captures a peculiar or a particular trait of Christ in these, in these chapters. That is that Jesus Christ came and walked this earth to demonstrate the love of God and the power of God, and not, I underline that, not to fit into some religious and social molds of the day. That was not Jesus' purpose. And there's a willingness about Jesus to demonstrate his power and to demonstrate God's love in such a way as, as he drew fire. He would, he would be breaking the norms of religious people's minds and he would be accepting the persecution that comes from that. You see, Christ is the center. Say that again. Christ is the center. And he pulls all things toward himself. Whether they're legalistic things, he pulls them to himself. Whether they're liberal things, no matter the tensions in society, they had similar tensions back then as we do now. Race justice, social and financial equity, all those things Christ pulls to himself and he changes them as they come to Christ. Christ calls us to a different place that is radically different from the world around us. We tend to want to fit in, don't you? It's this way for yes. We, we do. We, we want to fit in. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to be considered an odd duck or weird. I don't like that. You don't either. And we certainly don't want to be persecuted. (laughs) We don't look forward to any type of persecution. But Christ calls us to something different from the world and to center up on himself. So before we read our text... I want you to understand the sweep of these chapters so that you can better understand the context of what I'm going to preach on today. And this will help you engage the world around you with radical Christ-like love. And I'm just going to go through this very quickly, but I want to front load this in your mind so the rest of it makes sense. In chapter 5, Jesus cleanses a leper. And the Bible says in chapter 5, verses 12 and following there, that Jesus actually touched this guy. Now, to us who have heard this preached a hundred times, no big deal. But everyone around Jesus Christ would have went, he touched that guy. Because that would have made him unclean, ceremonially unclean, and that would have been a taboo. Jesus heals a paralytic. He says, and, and he heals a paralytic, and he says something weird. He says, your sins are forgiven you. <gasps> All the Pharisees around him go, whoa, that's, that's kind of different. Who's this guy? And Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say rise and walk? And just to prove a point, Jesus says, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. Then Jesus calls Levi, or Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And Levi throws a huge party. There's great joy in Levi's heart as he's called to this. And he throws a huge party and is full of tax collectors. (gasps) 
It's people that you just wouldn't hang out with. Jesus, you're a righteous person. You're supposed to be a rabbi. You don't hang with these folks. Wow. What's Jesus doing? And Jesus tells the Pharisees when they ask him about it, he says, look, I came to save those who are sick. The people that don't think they need me, that have no need of salvation, that are whole, they don't need me. Then they ask Jesus, hey, how come your disciples don't fast? We all fast. And Jesus goes, can the bridegroom, can the, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? I'm the bridegroom, and I'll be taken away one day. And he says, nobody tears something from an old garment and puts to take, nobody takes an old piece of cloth and puts it in a new garment because people like the old better. <gasps> what do you mean? The old things are not good? We put new wine into new wineskins because the old wineskins will break. They can't hold it. And then in chapter 6, Jesus begins to walk through the grain fields with his disciples on the Sabbath. And his disciples begin to pluck the grain and rub it in their hands and and eat. And the Pharisees freak out. (gasps) What are they doing? They're working. (laughs) And you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus tells them, I'm Lord of the Sabbath also. (sighs) Again and again, he does this. And he says, haven't you read when David was hungry and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence? Wow. And then finally, they're at church. They're at the synagogue. And there's a man there with his, with his hand that is withered and he's diseased and he's broken in life. And Jesus heals this man. You just don't heal people in church. (laughs) And this flew in the face of all these people's thinking and all their social norms and all their religious norms. And this brings us to our text today. As we begin, just before I read our text, Jesus talks, he picks his disciples, he comes down the mountain, and he starts addressing his disciples, and he, pass, he gives four blessings. He says, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry now, blessed are you who weep now, and blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And then he turns to apparently another group of people there. And he says, but, but always indicates a change of direction or thought. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus is saying there is great gain and great glory in serving him. There's a great blessing and there's a great woe to not serving Jesus Christ. So I'll pick up our passage today and I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And I'm going to read 27 through 42. It's a long read, but I think we'll be able to get to it. Here is the living word of God. 
But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father, as I've already confessed, I fall so short of this so many times, and the truth is, we all do. There is no one without that struggle here under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray that your people would be encouraged, that you would encourage us this morning, all who stand under your word, me included, Lord, that we would be pointed to Christ in these things, in these things, these commands that you call us to do, and that we would glorify your name to those around us, and it would allow us to make friendships with the lost, and to reach out to our community, and to live for Christ in such a way that we are different, we're not like the world. And that shines forth Christ. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. Sorry. Jesus was very radical in his approach. We we would call it radical today. Matter of fact, um, my generation would call it rad. It was, he was very radical in his approach to ministry and his love for people. And Jesus is just as radical today. Jesus is just as radical today. And he calls us to radical Christ-like love. So let's look at our first point in our bulletin there. Radical Christ-like love obeys 
Christ's commands. Radical Christ-like love obeys Christ's commands. John 14, 15 says, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the things that we're going to talk about today are really things that happen at a personal level. We're not talking about the church writ large, although the people in the church who operate in Christ at at a personal level begin to affect the church, and the church as it operates in Christ begin to affect the community, and the community as it operates in Christ begins to affect the whole world. But today, the things we're talking about really are at our heart level at a personal level. So in verse 27 and 28, we have four commands. And I'm sorry to report, these are not suggestions. And they're radical. They're radical. He says, and and this is probably in the context of persecution, he says, love our enemies. We're commanded to love our enemies. When's the last time we've done that? I don't like my enemies. The reason they're my enemies is because I don't like them. Right? (laughs) And I don't like to do that. But Christ says, love your enemies. He says, do good to those who hate you. So when somebody disses you, disrespects you, treats you bad, you're supposed to turn. This is what Christ is saying. We're supposed to turn and do good to them. I don't like that. I just don't. Bless those who curse you. Yeah, right. Okay. But Jesus calls us to do this. This is the radical way Jesus wants us to live. Pray for those who abuse you. Think of that. Someone abuses you, and then in your heart, you go before the living God, and you pray for that person. Think about that. That's hard to do. And there's no way that any of us can do this without the power of Christ. And if you don't have the power of Christ in your life, forget it. Hang it up. Quit before you even start. This requires the power of Jesus Christ. And I want to say something. These are The other bad part about this, the second part of the bad news is, these are all present tense verbs. And you go, okay, so what? That means that we are always supposed to be ready to do these things at the drop of a hat. Does it mean I did them once? Does it mean I'll do them in the future? It means that I am always ready to do these things now. This is radical stuff. How many of you are feeling uncomfortable? I feel uncomfortable up here. And that's the truth of it. Christ calls us to a non-retaliatory posture in the face of abuse or persecution for the sake of Christ. And he gives us four illustrations. Now, preachers, I'm going to give the secret sauce. My good brother Ron is here, and he'll report me to the preacher's union. But the secret sauce of, of preaching is this. We read the word, and we try to explain the word. The second thing we try to do is illustrate the word. And the third thing we try to do is apply the word. Thankfully, Christ has done all that for me in these verses right here. And he's about to do that for me now. He, he gives us four illustrations or examples of radical love to back up the four commands that he's just given. And you'll find that beginning in verse 29. It'll be in verse 29 and 30. First of all, he tells us, he says, offer the other cheek. 
Now, I'm from South Georgia. I'm a little bit of a redneck. And you slap me, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. Think of that. Think of how radical this, this is that Christ is telling us to do. He says, offer, offer the other tree. And this probably has to do with being kicked out of the synagogue. When you were, they, they didn't slap this way. They typically backhanded you and excommunicated you from the synagogue. And that was a powerful offense to you. And yet you're just supposed to stand there and take it. How about give your shirt with the coat? Somebody takes your coat, they get your shirt too. Wow, this is radical love if Christ is really expecting us to do that. And he is. In both of these things, we're called to minister at the risk of further persecution. See, the world thinks this way. If you fool me once, what's the saying? That's right. If you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's the world's saying, but that's not Christ's saying. It says, give your shirt with the coat. In both, we're called to minister at the risk of further persecution. Then he gives two more examples. He says, give to the beggar. Now, this could mean give to people when you don't have much to give, even when you're being persecuted, or it could just mean to give to when you run into beggars who have needs. How many people have driven around here in Mount Pleasant and you see the folks on the corner with the sign? I'm not going to ascribe motive to you, but I'll tell you what I often think, what pops in my head. That guy's a professional beggar. He's not getting nothing. I see some of you nodding. Okay, some some are laughing. But it's true. And Christ says, don't be that way. He says, give to the beggar. And I think we do need to qualify that and be wise because what he's talking about here is is life needs, you know, food, shelter, clothing, things like that. Give to the beggar. He says, don't demand your goods back when they're taken. Now, this could be under persecution where they come in and take your goods, or I kind of think because of verse 35 where it talks about lending, and that's a summary here, that he's talking about with lending. When somebody borrows my weed eater and doesn't bring it back, how do you act? Dude, I want my weed eater. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but Christ says, don't demand your goods back when they're taken. This is a radical way to live. This takes the whole world's thinking and does what to it? Turns it upside down. And, and, and Christ intends to do this. All of these we see that radical Christ-like love is available, it's vulnerable, and it's subject to repeated abuse. That's how we're to live as Christians. Wow. And then he gives us this great thing. It's called the golden rule. I've learned it since that I was this high. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this teaches us to ascribe the best motives to others, doesn't it? Teaches you to think about them as you would like to be thought about. To treat them as you would like to be treated about. Or treated as you would like to be treated. We often want to be judged by our motives, but judge other people by their actions, don't we? Well, I know what I was thinking, and I know what you were thinking when you did that. But this tells us not to do that. We're to go beyond the world's ethics and center up 
on Jesus Christ. Not do things the world's way, but center up on him. And this tends to cause a question in your mind. And I see the question mark above a lot of your heads. You don't know it's there, but it's there. And that question is, are we supposed to be a doormat? Am I just supposed to let people steamroll me and roll over me if I'm a Christian? Is that what Christ is teaching? Well, we'll answer that in our next point, hopefully. Point number two, radical Christ-like love makes you look like Christ. So the first question out of the gate is I need to ask you, was Christ a doormat? And I think we all know the answer to that. But in verses 32 and 34, Christ continues to press the point. He's not letting us off the hook with this. It would be okay if it was just a few verses. I got through that, (laughs) you know, but that's not what Christ does here. Christ continues to press the point that expressing radical Christ-like love is done differently in the kingdom of God than it is in the world. Christ begins here in verses 32 and 34 by giving us three illustrations. He says, if you love only those who love you, what credit is that for you? What credit is that for you? If you do good to these who do good to you, what credit is that for you? If you lend expecting return, what credit is that for you? In other words, if you do things this way, we are no different than the world. What good is it? Why put yourselves out then? Well, the answer lies in Christ's question to us, what credit is that? In other words, why do this? And we have at least three answers right in this passage, and I'll give them to you very quickly. First of all, Christ commands it. We already saw that. It's a clear command of Christ. There's no getting around it. It's a clear command of Christ that we act this way. Here in point two, we're talking about it makes us look like Christ. Acts 11.26 tells us at Antioch, They were first called Christians, and that's our legacy. Now, we don't know if it was a derogatory term. They were making fun of them. Ha, 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 you look like Jesus, or if they really said, you guys really act like Jesus. But at Antioch, they were first called Christians, and today we're called Christians, which means little Christs. That's what we're called to be. Matthew 5, 13 and 16 talks about being salt and light. And if the salt is not salty, it loses its savor. It's, it's no better than the dirt. You just throw it out, right? It's just no good. But the third thing is, and it's found here in this section, is we receive a reward and we receive sonship. And this, I will say, is the hinge pin of all this text. Reward and sonship is our motivation. Verse 35, Christ promises. Now I want you to look at this. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Now if the living God, the son of the living God tells you something is great, How great do you think that is? 
That's phenomenal. It's your reward is going to be without bounds. It's just going to be wonderful. You say, well, do I work for rewards? Yes, we do. And we'll, we'll break this out a little more in the passage. Not only will your reward be great, but you will be the sons of the Most High. As a matter of fact, verse 40 tells us that we'll be like our master. And verse 36, best of all, we reflect our father. He says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. I want you to take your Bible and flip to Exodus chapter 34. I'll give you a moment to get there. Exodus chapter 34. And I want you to look at verse 6. And this is where, for those of you that don't know, where Moses asks to see God's glory. And he says, God, show me your glory. So he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he puts his hand over him. And then he walks by and God himself declares this about himself. And before we read this, I want you to catch what is the very first descriptor that God uses about himself. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. What is the first descriptor that God uses about himself? What is it that he wants Moses to know first? That he's merciful. What is it back in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, he tells us to be? merciful, so that we reflect our Lord and Savior, the one who has had mercy and compassion on us. By obeying Christ's commands, we get the high privilege of showing people who God really is. Because how does the world think about God? The world thinks he's a mean guy, right? He's waiting up there, he's watching all of you, and as soon as you step out of line, He's going to zap you. But that's not who God says he is. And that's not who we're called to reflect either. We're called to reflect his mercy. It's the prime reason, the thankfulness for God's mercy, that we obey all these things. We do these things. We do these things not to be doormats. We're not doing this to be a doormat but because our eye is fixed on the triune God and we truly desire to reflect his glory and his mercy. He's done awesome things for me. He's done awesome things for you. And I want to reflect that and magnify his name and glorify his name to those around me. This brings us to our third point. Radical Christian love changes our view or changes your view and my view of self and others, and we see that in verses 37 through 42. Verses 37 and 38, once again, Christ gives us four more commands. Okay. Followed by a parable as an illustration or an example. And this section deals with our internal thoughts that either cause us to act a certain way or stop us from acting a certain way. And these are personal attitudes. He says, judge not which is an inward attitude. 
And then, by the way, if you note that, it says, judge not and you will not be judged. It's tied to a personal benefit in serving God and obeying him. Condemn not is an inward attitude tied directly to a personal benefit. Then he says, forgive. Forgiveness is both an inward and an outward expression tied directly, again, to a personal benefit. Obeying God has great benefits. And then finally he says, give, which is a truly outward expression that just has a marvelous, marvelous uh, benefit that could give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be poured into your lap? It will be directly delivered to you, right, in your in your lap. There's great benefit in serving the Lord. So we shouldn't recoil when God calls us, when Christ calls us to do these things. So let's break these down very quickly for a moment. I've only got a couple more minutes here. Judging deals with the ascribing of motives to others without considering what's going on in my own heart, doesn't it? That's judging. And it happens at a personal level. Condemning happens when we are most sensitive and judgmental towards a flaw we see in others, but we're blind to in ourselves. Luke 18, 10 through 14 tells us the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And most of you know that story, but I'll go over it quickly. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to the temple and the Pharisee in his own heart looked down at the tax collector and said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like that guy. I do this, I do that, I do this. And the tax collector approached and the Bible says he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he smote on his chest and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we're looking to live this way, when we're looking to have these things in our life, to not judge, to condemn, to forgive, to give, we got to ask ourselves, who's the biggest sinner? Who's the biggest sinner? Some people are pointing at their husbands. I'm like, <laughs> no. But it's our mindset, isn't our attitude. When we understand with Paul, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. It changes us. We stop judging. We stop being condescending. And we turn away from that. And we realize that I'm that person and that I've been forgiven of much. And what about forgiveness here? Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? I know you do in Matthew chapter 18. I'm not going to go read that. But the parable goes like this, that there was a guy that owed his master 10,000 talents. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. A talent, I'm assuming he's talking about gold. He doesn't say specifically. But a talent is 75 pounds worth of gold. So this guy owed his master 750,000 pounds of gold. A pound of gold is worth about 22,700 bucks. He could never pay. Never pay. All of his lifetime, he could never pay it. So radical was this debt. So radical is mine and your debt to God. And before Jesus Christ. And yet, when someone owed him just a little bit of money, he got that guy by the throat. And he said, 
see me right now. And the servants heard about it, and they went and told the master. And guess what the master did? The master punished him as he originally deserved to be punished because he wouldn't forgive. He had been forgiven all these things, a debt he could not pay. You and I have been forgiven a debt we cannot pay. So it behooves us to be willing to forgive all the people around us. So when I realize I'm the biggest sinner truly in my heart, I stop judging. I stop condemning. When I realize that I've been forgiven of an incalculable debt, I forgive because I have been forgiven. And then I'm happy to give. And I receive all those benefits that this passage is talking about. James tells us, and also 1 Peter, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble when we're humble that way. So we need to land the airplane. Jesus calls us to a radical obedience, to be radically changed in how we behave so that we reflect our Father, to act differently based on a radical motivation, which is the hope of glory. I do get great benefit. I get to live with God forever. You get to stay with Jesus Christ, look on his face. The Bible says that we will literally see Jesus as he is. Wow. If that... I think I've said it before, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Yeah, it's just amazing. The radical motivation, which is in the hope of glory, of living with him forever, and to radically change our view of self. So let me ask you, and I'm closing here. Are you, and this is not to condemn you, this is an honest question that I've had to ask myself all week. Uh, Are you obeying Christ's commands to display radical Christ-like love to the world around you? Is that something you're ready to do instantly? Do you look like Christ? Are you growing daily in sanctification? Are you constantly turning back to Christ? Are you reveling in God's great reward of eternal life? God has promised those who follow him, who come to him, who repent of their sins and who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's promised them eternal life. Like in the song we sang earlier, I forget which one it was, that we'll live with him forever, that God's kingdom will be with us forever. Are you reveling in God's great reward of eternal life? Are you reflecting your sonship In displaying God's mercy, are you merciful the way God is merciful? And in your own heart, are you the biggest sinner? Daily in need of the Savior. Do you constantly run to him, to Jesus Christ, for forgiveness, for strength, to carry out his commands? Is that something you do? This is what we're called to do. This is what this passage calls us to do. And this is why I wanted to take the big swath this morning with us, the big chunk of Scripture. We're called to do this because God has forgiven us of an incalculable debt, because Jesus Christ has paid that debt for us. And this is radical Christ-like love. Let's pray.